Welcome to the Tax Risk Navigator podcast. Your host, Peter van Aswan, and myself, Etienne Retief. This month, we focus on provisional tax, and in today's episode, we'll be looking at how expat tax affects your provisional tax. Now, taxrisknavigator.co.za platform provides certain tools. Peter, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this? Thanks, Etienne. So, taxrisknavigator.co.za is still a new concept and a new platform, but it's based on the idea of a technical partner. So those of you who have been involved in a, in a larger firm context or perhaps even those in a smaller firm context, the technical partner is really the person who you would give a call if you get stuck to test whether you're on the right track or not. In the case of taxriskNavigator.co.za, we want to take it one step further and make this uh, facility available on an online and an instant basis. So taxriskNavigator.co.za is really a platform where we will provide you with a collection of resources that you can use for this purpose, including something like the podcast that you're listening to right now, some some technical articles and a few risk apps that we will talk about a bit later. Etienne, I think without any further ado, let's have a look at the expat tax that you that you referred to earlier. So what, what exactly is the expat tax about before we talk about provisional tax? So expat tax, or it's a, the, the name that it's been given, uh, it finds its origins in an older piece of legislation and it was really intended to avoid double taxation where a person has foreign source employment income. And being source, it means that the person as a South African resident, a tax resident, working abroad, and from a source point, you are working in that other country. And typically, we look at sources when, when we say employment income, at where were you when you performed the services from an employment point of view. So that other jurisdiction would typically be looking to tax you. Now, from South Africa's point of view, we to avoid double taxation, what we would do is instead of other mechanisms, we provided an exemption, which fit under a provision or a section called 10102 of the Income Tax Act. Now, that's been around for some time, but it was understood that in some circumstances, people are claiming effectively a, nu- a double non-taxation. So what they're effectively doing is they're not paying tax in the other jurisdiction, either due to avoiding that or not having an obligation to pay in that country, or perhaps it's in a country that does not seek to tax that income. But then in South Africa, for that South African tax resident, we're also not taxing it. So what they did is they, they brought in an amendment to say, instead of providing a blanket exemption, is we'll only exempt the first 1.25 million of that foreign source employment income. And then thereafter, you pay tax on the remaining portion. And once that came in, it obviously highlighted th- that provision and those underlying circumstances of that a lot more. And it being been known now as the expat tax. But the expat tax itself, you know, provide a lot of, I would say, problems in, in its practical application because of the multi-jurisdictions and your employer is not always necessarily in South Africa. But Peter, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the provisions and provisional tax, the employee's tax and those elements relating to this? I think it might be a good idea to start or give you a few examples as to where the expat tax and provisional tax could overlap, seeing that provisional tax, uh, the deadline for provisional tax is coming up towards the end of August. 
So if we take a practical example of a taxpayer, let's call the person John, an individual, and uh, as you've already alluded to, the expat tax is something that is relevant to individuals who are resident of South, residents of South Africa. I think if, if John works for a South African employer who withholds pay as you earn from his remuneration, then provisional tax would normally not really be a problem. You the, the tax would have already been collected through the employee's tax that the employer would have withheld. As soon as John also carries on some sort of another trait in addition to earning remuneration, he would be required to register as a provisional taxpayer. Now, I think we'll talk about the, the mechanics of the your provisional tax estimates and how these estimates should be determined a bit later on. But now he would have to do an estimate based on his, uh, his total income for the year, which would include the foreign income of which a portion may be, may be exempt, as well as the other trade. And he would have to uh, pay provisional tax based on the combination of those two. So I think in that instance, even though the employer may, may be a South African employer, uh, the expat tax and becomes very relevant to your, to your provisional tax calculation. The other scenario where the expat tax and provisional tax would overlap is where the employer doesn't withhold employee's tax. And that would typically be in the case of an of a foreign employer. So an employer who's not registered as an employer in South Africa, they, they may be taxed in another country, but there's no tax in South Africa. And in that instance, the, the South African resident, um, John in our case, would be required to register as a provisional taxpayer. Um, Etienne, I've, I think I've already mentioned, in, in the case of a taxpayer like John, who could be liable to, to register as a provisional taxpayer, there could be some challenges in in making the estimates that you require to do for provisional tax. Um, do you, would you perhaps want to expand on those a bit more? One of the, the things to just remember, and, and let's take a step back and what provisional tax would mean for John. So provisional tax, just like employees tax, is effectively a form of credit of tax. The real assessment or the real determination of a person's tax is actually on assessment. But because you don't have employees tax and these things deducted, you have to some other way pay your taxes during the year and then be assessed after the close of that tax year. So provisional tax is one of those means. And so six months into the tax year, you make your first estimate. Then at the end of the tax year, you do your second estimate and then uh, seven months after the close of the tax year, you then have an opportunity to top up and avoid unnecessary interest on late payment if you've to kind of catch up. And that's purely based on the fact that you're making an estimate along the way. Your second estimate typically is a lot more accurate because by then you've already had at least 11 months out of your year that you've done. And you really just, you should understand what your full year value would be. What's more difficult is when you're dealing with your first estimate because we're coming six months in. So you've only got about four or five months worth of data that you're relying on to estimate your full year value. Now, how it works is I have to estimate my full year's taxable income 
And then when I do my provisional return, I take that full value and then that taxable value that I've estimated for the full year is divided in half and that's what the tax liability at, or the payment liability at this point comes into account minus credits. And those are taxes that have already will be paid within those first six months so that I don't end up overpaying tax. But this is also at the same time where one of the problems come in related to this expat tax. Because if I look at employees tax, I would have every month deduction of taxes happening. So my first estimate, if I do a uh, credit that I'm claiming, it works out quite well. But because of the expat tax, the first 1.25 million is exempt. And only after that, I go into taxable. What it means is that in my first part of the tax year is where my exemption applies. So there's no tax on that. And the majority of the tax actually applies to the latter part of the tax year. So when I do an estimate on a full year, I've got the full picture. But when I apply the credit of taxes, I have the majority of my exemption that actually applies in my first estimate and by second estimate only catching up on it. So I could end up with my foreign tax credits that I may be entitled to claim, as well as any employee's tax or so that, that is deducted, is quite limited in that first period. So I could end up with a overestimated tax liability in the first period compared to what it should be when I take the full tax year into account. And instead of equally half first period, half second period, I could end up having the majority of my tax liability happening in first period and then a catch up in the second. And one of the things to, to bear in mind as well when we're looking at, at that kind of estimate is remember that provisional tax is not about how much tax you pay. It's about a proper estimation of taxable income and then apportioned in the return. So I can't go and say, well, the, the amount of tax I should pay half of the year is because then your estimate will be wrong. You've got to estimate taxable income and the result follows from that. So there isn't really a way around this short of a legislative amendment to address the issue. But there's a number of things that get included into taxable income. And, and Peter, perhaps you'd like to talk us through the, the various elements, the non-cash and, and the exchange rate type of issues also to consider. Yes, I think that links very well to what you spoke about just now. So you've got... Your, your basis for provisional tax is obviously only an estimate. Now, if you look at the way in which, so let's perhaps start with the, the first point, is the exchange rate that you have to use. So often if you earn uh, your remuneration from a foreign employer, it's, it's likely that your remuneration wouldn't be denominated in South African rands. So from a principal perspective, if you earn any income as an individual in a currency other than South African rands, you've got the choice whether you want to, you can elect, do you want to uh, convert those amounts that you've received at the spot rate or the average rate for the specific year of assessment. Now, that choice when, when you do your first provisional tax payment could be quite, quite difficult to, to see which way, do you, what election should you make. Uh, especially given the volatility of, of our currency. So there would be a lot of guesswork involved in determining what would possibly be the, what could the average rate of exchange be for the period that you that you um, preparing the estimate for. The second aspect that also could also complicate your, your estimate quite a bit is that 
you very seldomly only earn cash remuneration. So especially if you're working abroad, there's all kinds of other benefits that's included in your cost to company or your, your salary package. This would could include accommodation benefits, um, certain travel benefits, your possibly living allowances. And there's very specific rules for these things in the seventh schedule to the Income Tax Act as to how these fringe benefits are valued for South African tax purposes. And it, it may very well be that the fringe benefits are valued in a different way for, for purposes of the other jurisdiction where where it could be taxable. So when you prepare your estimate, you would be required to apply the South African Income Tax Act uh, prescriptions to, to determine a value for these non-cash benefits that should be included in your estimate. So there could be quite a bit of effort involved in trying to get all the information to be able to do a proper estimate of, of what the, the taxable value of your your fringe benefits and while working abroad would be. And of course, you'd then have to take into account that it's again, not only your, your cash salary that, that would affect your, the 1.25 million exemption, but these, these other elements of your, of your remuneration package would also start playing a role. Now, Etienne, I think the other potential problem that that may arise is that you you're not necessarily only going to be paying tax in South Africa it's very likely that depending on the other jurisdiction you could also be paying tax on that side how does the income tax act and specifically from a provisional tax perspective how how does one take into account the fact that you've got this double tax well i think the the starting point is double taxation there are a number of ways in which that's addressed practically. One would be a double taxation treaty that could dominate authority to tax. And sometimes it allows both states' rights to tax or only one state the right to tax and, and thereby eliminating the other state's ability to tax that income. There could be an exemption like we have with the expat tax that could be put into to the law. And then where it ends up being taxable for a person, in this case, the South African resident, John, ends up with paying South African tax while also legitimately paying foreign taxes. He could then claim foreign tax credits against that foreign source income that he has. Now, it's very important to remember that for you to claim the foreign source credit, means that the source has to be abroad. So it is for foreign employment. It's not just because I paid tax in another jurisdiction. I need to be able to show that it is of a foreign source. I also have to show that that tax is actually payable to the other jurisdiction. This is a very difficult task sometimes because we have differences in documentation, difference in periods. So uh, sometimes what would happen by the time that you have to show, well, I've got a foreign tax credit, I have to convince SARS that you're liable for this tax, but you might not yet have a final assessment or some kind of certificate to base this on. That certificate might also be in a foreign uh, language that needs to be translated. And as you had mentioned earlier, when we're looking at, at your remuneration, when we translate that into South African rand, that foreign currency, you have the option to either use a spot or an average rate, where when we're dealing with provisional tax and claiming the foreign tax credit, that section six quad foreign tax credit can only be done at the average rate. 
but average rate is the average for the tax year, which means that I also at first period have to estimate what the full year's average is going to be of the exchange rate, which is not the easiest thing to do. Um, it's a, quite a guess. But also there's a difference in treatment because you, you can only use that mechanism when you're claiming your first provisional credit, remember it's also only the foreign tax credits that under six quad, that foreign tax credit provision that you have, that is payable by the end of the first period, whether it's payable by the end of August, that actually is included in that calculation or that credit. So we've got to be very mindful that all of these things play a role in, in the complexity. But the one thing that often is not understood or adds a level of complexity is tax residency. Because often people think that tax residency or my residency is associated with immigration or me permanently leaving South Africa. So I could go and work in another country. Let's use an example. Let's say John is going to go work in the Netherlands or Spain where we have a double taxation treaty. But because he spends enough time in that country working physically there, the treaty or in their domestic law, he becomes a tax resident also in that country. And the treaty now has a tiebreaker provision that says that you can't be, for purpose of the treaty, a resident on both sides. We'll deem you to be a resident only of one. And now you've got to go through this process, a tiebreaker provision, to determine which country has dominance. So if it turns out that in this case, even though John might, after five years of working in, let's say, Spain, decides he'll come back to South Africa, he's not actually immigrating. But for that five-year period, he might actually, if he's moved his family and his kids, everything over there for that five-year period, might very well become a tax resident in Spain and in terms of the treaty deemed not to be a South African tax resident, which then means he can't go claim that foreign tax credit in South Africa. And it could just be ignorance to it, but it's in order to claim that foreign tax credit, you not only have to show the foreign source, prove that it's payable, but you have to, in proving that payable, prove that, that the other jurisdiction had that right to tax in order to get it correct. Things like tax residence, source, and the foreign tax credits. And in future podcasts, we will delve into more complexities of those and, and some of the practical applications of those various provisions. But for now, I think let's leave it at that. Uh, Peter, do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, Tax Risk Navigator and, and the apps that we have available? Yeah, so we've developed a number of risk apps that are currently all in their beta version. So I think since it's a, it's a new concept, it, it might be worthwhile just spending a, a few seconds on explaining what the RISC app is. So it's really a, an automated uh, process where you as a user would uh, answer a few questions. So select whatever aspect you, you want to assess the risk on. For example, we've got a residence and remuneration risk app. Answer a few questions and those questions in the in the back end of the app, we've covered various permutations. So it's whatever you give as the answer to question one will then drive you to, to give you as, as focused as possible uh, risk assessment in your specific set of circumstances. So the answers would eventually lead you to a, 
a screen with your results, which is in the form of a visual risk meter to say that, let's go back to our example about residence and remuneration. There's perhaps a risk that even though you perceive yourself as a South African resident, you are there's a risk that from the information given that you are no longer a resident or perhaps the more common version of it that I suspect that we might see where uh, people uh, took certain steps to, to break their South African residence and are now under the impression that they are no longer South African tax resident may find that based on the answers that you've given, you, there's a big risk that you are actually still a South African tax resident. The, the outcome of the meter would then give you that guidance. And at the end of the process, there's a PDF report with, again, your risk assessment on it, but then also detailed guidance from the legislation and the relative authority, like the interpretation notes issued by Sarge, to, to help you understand where this perceived risk that the app identified comes from. So in the context of the topics that we've spoken about today, we've got two specific risk apps, the residence and remuneration, one that I've already mentioned. And then there's also a foreign tax risk app that would help you to understand whether a company has got an opportunity to, or a, a person, not necessarily a company, but whether there's an opportunity to, to claim a, 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 a tax credit for your, your foreign taxes, or then on the other hand, whether there's some circumstances that would, that would create a risk that you possibly not entitled to, to claim a, a rebate for those foreign taxes. So I would like to invite you, uh, we will include the link on, in the description of this, of this podcast, but I would like to invite you to, to use the apps, test them and see if you can give us any feedback during our beta version of, of it. So we would very much appreciate any inputs and, and your thoughts as to whether these apps are valuable to you or not. Thank you, Peter. We will be recording uh, on a regular basis these podcasts. So thank you for listening and please subscribe in whichever platform you're using. Please remember that although we, we try and delve in and provide some input into these various topics, the content of these podcasts is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for proper consultation with a professional advisor or tax practitioner.